Hey everyone, and welcome to Cocktails and Classics, where each episode we force our friend Cameron, who hasn't seen many classic films, to watch one. During the film, we'll be drinking a cocktail inspired by the movie, we'll give you the recipe so you can try it at home. I'm Dylan, and joining me this week, we have the guy who hasn't seen many movies, Cameron. Hey. We have uh, our quiz master, Zach. Hi, everyone. Our comic book connoisseur and pop culture icon, <laughs> Ben. Hey. And our makeshift bartender, Carlos. How's it going? This week, we watched Taxi Driver, a 1976 film directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, and to go along with the movie, we need some liquid refreshment. So what are we sipping, Carlos? How's it going, everyone? Thanks again for tuning in this week. Uh, this recipe comes to us from the Crepes of Wrath. Uh, so check out the recipe in the show notes below. Um, for this cocktail, we are going with none other than the star of our movie, the Robert De Niro Martini. Uh, for this drink, you're going to need eight ounces of vodka, four ounces of dry vermouth, six large chunks of lemon peel, lots of ice, and six lemon twists. So if you feel up to the challenge of making yourself uh, the Robert De Niro Martini, Go ahead and check out the recipe from the Crepes of Wrath and let us know what you think. So, uh, so boys, what you think? <laughs> no, I, I did try the drink, but I've never had a martini, especially like this. Um, and I don't think I'll do it again. I actually didn't really like it just because I don't really like wine that much. And so the vermouth kind of tasted like wine to me. And the lemon didn't actually make it fruity enough for me. So for those reasons, I'm a big fan of vodka. So... I don't Surprised mind vodka, actually. Like, depending on the drink, I don't mind the vodka. It's just the vermouth is... I don't like the vermouth, actually. That's probably the worst part. All right. Other side of the table. I really don't like vodka, and I'm okay with vermouth, but I think I let my my lemon pieces sit for, like, a long time, and I, I shook the drink up so it was super cold. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, it's nothing I would, I would, like, drink over a whiskey bourbon type of thing, but it was fine. I liked it. I will just say that the ingredients Carlos read off does make two martinis. Yes, it does. Yeah. Unless Uh, you make a really big glass. I was going to say, or one giant martini. So if you make one of these cocktails, send us a picture on Instagram at cocktails and classics pod and use hashtag cocktails and classics. We'd love to see how your Robert De Niro martini came out and hear your thoughts on uh, what you liked about it and what you enjoyed. If you haven't seen the movie, sit back, Sip on this week's cocktail, the Robert De Niro Martini, and enjoy the show. There will be spoilers from here on out, so heads up. Otherwise, continue on for our post-movie discussion. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Hopefully you grabbed your Robert De Niro. And uh, this week we watched Taxi Driver, starring Robert De Niro, directed by Martin Scorsese. This is one of the earlier Scorsese-De Niro collaborations, I think, Mean Streets was the only one before. Yeah, Um, this is pre-Raging Bull. So Taxi Driver is the story of Travis Bickle, who becomes a taxi driver at the beginning of the film. He's a little on the edge. He has some insomnia. And we slowly watch the downfall of this man as he uh, becomes mentally unstable um, and tries to save an underage prostitute. The movie is currently number 107 on IMDb's top 250. It was nominated for four Oscars. Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress. And it actually won the Palme d'Or at the 1976 Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Cameron, what were your initial thoughts to the film? It was kind of a weird movie, I thought. I felt like it was very similar to The Joker. The, the intentions are clear, um, and we'll get more into it later, but I actually don't like how this movie ends. Like, I felt like it was leading somewhere, and then it chickened out at the last second and turned into a good movie. Like, not a good movie, a superhero-ish type ending movie where everything kind of just works out. Like a good guy ending type of deal? Yeah, and it's like, I don't know. Like I said, we can talk about it later, but like, this dude should be dead or in jail at the end of the movie, and he's a hero? I don't know. He's an anti-hero. 
he he's like one of the first anti-heroes in movies i would say i guess but he he didn't mean to like i don't know i just yeah so my initial impression were i it was decent for a bit uh it wasn't very believable either like i felt like a lot of the characters were like super cool with this guy for some reason even though he was a total creepo i don't know i felt like i was kind of just laughing at the absurdity of some of it was there anything that surprised you cam yeah i mean like i said the ending was pretty surprising to me i mean the fact that they gave him like a hero send-off kind of thing was kind of weird because i feel like like he he became so detached from reality throughout the movie that i feel like the ending was not a natural conclusion to the story like, I feel like he, you get to the end and, like, he's... So, almost at the end, he's about to shoot the presidential candidate. Decides... Or, sorry, gets chased off. And then goes to decide to be a good guy instead. Kinda. And then he doesn't even die at the end, which it seems like it implies for a minute. He, like, wakes up and is, like, now a hero. And I feel like he didn't actually learn anything. If anything, like, he learns that his behavior was good... I don't know. It seemed like it was glorifying his behavior, which I was not a fan of. I will say I did not remember the ending. I went in and I was like, oh, yeah, he dies at the end, like after a this glory, glorious, bloody shootout. And and then he was alive and he's the hero. And I was like, huh, maybe I just didn't stay to the end or maybe I blocked that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that I mean, honestly, that was the most surprising part. Um, was that it was just the ending was just so not I feel like it just wasn't what it should have been in my opinion I don't know like I, I feel like it minimally should be in jail I remember just on the on the rewatch when it got to that point where they're kind of reading the letter from the parents in in my head I because I completely forgot I thought I thought the movie ended with him on the couch surrounded by police and that was just like that's the end which clear cut ending is a, is a good ending to the movie but then when they start reading the letter my thoughts like oh okay maybe it's like somebody found his journal or kind of like a kind of like the ending to the watchman where someone slips Rorschach's journal into the newspaper and so they publish his whole story I'm like, okay, maybe it's kind of something along those lines where it's someone reading through this guy's crazy ramblings and uh, weird inner demons and they find this letter, you know, thanking this guy for uh, saving their, their daughter. And then it just cuts to him and all of the other taxi drivers are like, yeah, he's, he's great. And you see him... Uh, get the fair and it's Sybil Shepherd's character Betsy but they act like nothing happened and there's just like I, it's hard a to weird describe love yeah, yeah but, at the, super odd. but at the same time she gets out of the cab she says something about the fair she doesn't pay and then like he it's a weird like super flashy cut of him looking in the rearview mirror and then it cuts to like more of the city. Yeah, he like changes the switches the mirror up, and then well, it's I think like, it's yeah, impl- I think it's implied that he she was like, "What's the fare?" And he just like clocks it out and then keeps going and doesn't. Say well, anything. yeah, but he's like, yes. he's like, I'm too good for you now. Right. I but, was a creepy stalker, but now I saved the city, and now I'm too good for you, Betsy. Hope Palpatine wins. <laughs> I feel like that's maybe supposed to be interpreted as him, like his imagination that that's not really what happened or maybe he's still in the coma and everything post that. I I don't know. I feel like if you interpret it that way, I feel like the ending (laughs) makes more sense than everyone just heralding this guy as like a massive hero for basically killing three people. (laughs) The only thing that might make it worse than the ending is if the ending was a dream. (laughs) I mean, it would make way more sense. I agree with you. It's just I hate when they have the cliche like it was all a dream ending. You know what I mean? It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up Man. <laughs> so speaking of what's her name? Betsy? Yes. Right? Betty? Betsy? Betsy. Betsy? Okay. Betsy Ross. Other surprising thing is what the fuck is she thinking in the first half of the movie? Like 
what the fuck? Like, okay, so just to recap what happens, right? Taxi driver staring into the window. She sees him staring in. Is like, hey, this guy's staring at me. Male coworker goes out and is like, hey, can you get out of here? Speeds off. Next day or whatever, comes by. Hey, I saw you. I've been staring at you. Okay. Would you like to go on a date? Yeah, sure. Okay. Weird, but fine. Cut to the date. She's su- or He is super weird. I wrote down in all caps on my paper, he is so weird at this date. <laughs> like, he is being such a possessive weirdo at this it's date. very cringy. It's very much, I am 14 and this is deep in a person. Where he's, the part where he's like, I would, uh, he's talking about the coworker. He goes on and on about it. He's him, like, I would, way. I would yeah. say he has a quite a few problems. His energy seems to go in the wrong places. Yeah. When I walked so, in, saw you two sitting there, the energy was just off. I knew I had a chance. Yeah. One thing I wrote down was that he felt like he had the right to talk to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and then she's into it. She's into it and is like, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm like, what in the fuck? What woman? Like, who is, who are these people that are cool with going on these days with these weirdos staring at them from outside? And then when they say like possessive shit, like, yeah, you know, I think I really have the right to talk to you. They're like, yeah, that's, that sounds right. So let's go on another date. <laughs> and right. <laughs> this and then one will be to- much better. Oh, but the <laughs> porno flick is where it goes too far. <laughs> she's a classy lady she doesn't like porno flicks and no, it was like a weird nice. porno flick right it wasn't it was like an informational flick i think it was like some like weird thing. foreign movie type I thought, deal. Yeah, I thought it was like, it was like gaspar knows love yeah. but it was definitely <laughs> supposed to be like a porno theater for sure oh yeah Seats oh also i wrote down position. after so he's also after she mentions that one particular song he goes into a record store and buys that album. And I said, instantly buys record. What a simp. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to simp shame on this podcast. (laughs) I mean, it's just so, like, I don't know how she's into it. And that's funny because she accepts it, and then at the end of the uh, porno movie date, he's like, take your record. And she's like, no, I already have one. It's like, just take it anyway. She's like, all right, I guess I'll have two. So I watched the movie, uh, I think almost every single scene takes place from the perspective of Travis, which is what I think it makes all these weird things make sense. Like she seems to positively react to the weird shit he says and she seems okay with it. Um, I think that comes from we're viewing it as his perspective. He doesn't exactly know. He's not in tune with like what's normal in society. Like I, I don't think he meant to take her to like this obscene movie. He didn't know that that wasn't an okay thing to do, which is why he did it. And I think that's true for a lot of what's said in the movie. And if you watch the the events that happen, kind of the where we say like his descent as a person really comes from what he views as like the positive reinforcement he gets. Like he shoots the the guy that's robbing the store, and the store owner like thanks him, and then all of a sudden we get praise for Travis. Um, there's a little bit of revenge, like when he tries to kill the politician. I think that was revenge against Betsy, right? Um, but I think he's trying to do what's right. He just has no idea what that really is. I think the other reason he took her to the movie theater he did is because he talks about the fact that he doesn't sleep at all. So he spends his time driving his taxi. And then when he's done, he goes to the movies. And let's be honest, at two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, I very much doubt a movie theater is sitting there showing the sound of music, you know? I mean, he says that he goes to the porn movies. Well, yeah, but you've got to imagine he's trying to go to the, like when he says he can't sleep, he's going to the movie theater. What fucking movie theaters are open that late in the middle of the night? The other thing is, I'm not sure how well stocked in terms of snacks that porno movie theaters are, but he didn't have jujus. He he had a lot more snacks than any of the other patrons in there. (laughs) So I get the feeling <laughs> that that he just he didn't quite know that you weren't supposed to like buy popcorn at a porno theater. What's or your you policy are. on spaghetti? He's trying to do the old penis in the popcorn trick <laughs> with himself. Well, I think yeah. he's well. I think it's inferred that he's trying to hit on the girl, and when she's like, right, I'm which is call the manager, he's like, oh, then I guess I'll buy all of these snacks so that yeah. it doesn't yeah. look creepy anymore. 
which is yeah, I was to say which is already like you, you kind of get that sense of like yeah he he has like that like self righteous type of approach to however he engages with people and obviously like he's not getting the hint the first time around so yeah it's like you're seeing it from his perspective is like oh like I'm completely you know not shut down so I'm just gonna keep doing what I do and be weird so Martin Scorsese says that the the most important shot in the film to him is when uh travis is calling betsy for that the i guess it would be technically the third date and he's like talking on the phone and she's just kind of blowing him off and it like dollies across him into the empty hallway and he's like that's the most important shot of the film yeah i was wondering about that why it is definitely (sighs) unique you haven't seen something like that before Right. It's like, why is there just a shot of an empty hallway for a long time? It's to show that he's alone. He, he's alone. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a movie about loneliness. Isolation. And, yeah. Is it to just, like, focus on how he's talking to her, like, on the phone? Kind of like kind of like with, like, Fargo. You know, you hear William H. Macy, like, going over different ways he's going to sound on the phone. Is it, like, is it kind of like that? I think it's kind of, like, to to almost, like, we are the camera and it's too uncomfortable to, like too pathetic, too painful, too uncomfortable to bear. So you move away from it and go to this empty hallway and like you, you can't watch it anymore, basically. Yeah, it's one of those things where you just got to look away before you're just like, I this is hard to watch. So we're just going to take a look. I also think just the fact that it's, it's an empty, plain hallway with nothing in it is to kind of bring you into the fact that Travis is trying to reach out. He's getting nothing obviously there's something wrong with him socially that he doesn't pick up social cues and now he's sitting there just like on the phone and you're in this empty hallway that just makes you feel alone and isolated and i think that's definitely supposed to kind of bring that feeling of like loneliness and isolation to the to the viewer yeah it's really it's an interesting Obviously, it's a character study, but it's an interesting movie about essentially like the the failure of mental illness. Like he's a Marine who was discharged, assuming Vietnam since it's the 70s. Yeah. Um, he has no one to talk to. His only real connection is with a beautiful woman who's in a political office and a 12-year-old prostitute. And you like get these weird awkward conversations but that's literally like the only people that he talks to those in the the cabbies he has a 15 minute break with and when he's in this 15 minute break with the cabbies he's on the other side of the table he also just doesn't seem like he's paying attention with the other cabbies like he's physically doesn't he's physically there but mentally he's on a different planet his mind is fit in the uh, the one part that did stick out though, like where he it did seem like he was paying attention, and like the movie seems to draw attention to it, is when um, there he gets up to leave. I don't know if it's like the the first or second conversation, and the one cat oh, the kind of like he does killer. the finger guns, and he's like he's like you know by killer, and it's like kind of just focuses in on that. It's just it's kind of like oh, it kind of like you see it kind of ringing in his mind, like festering that he's got like something like pent up, you know that he's that's obviously going to be unleashed like later on, but. Or you know, obviously clear foreshadowing, but yeah, I feel like there was a lot in this movie about detachment from reality. Um, just because, like we already noted, there were many parts where he did things where a normal human probably wouldn't do those things because it's quite obvious you wouldn't do that. Um, and then there's other parts, like you mentioned, where other people call him things that aren't his name. So he calls him, like you said, killer. Other people call him cowboy at some other points in the movie. Yeah, and it's uh, clear and he, doesn't he doesn't get, get it. it. He, he constantly says how he doesn't get society, basically. Like, he doesn't understand what's a good movie. He's like, when he, when he goes to the movie, he's like, oh, you know, this one, I see couples going in all the time, so this must be something that couples do together. And so... Uh, was there a most memorable scene for anyone? Do you mean outside of the... Are you talking to me? Yeah. One of my favorite scenes is at the end, after everyone's dead... And it's the freeze frame overhead shot down the hallway of the whole scene. I think that is uh, probably the most iconic shot from the film. And maybe besides the like finger guns to the head at the end where he like wants the cop to shoot him, I feel like. But the cop doesn't. 
probably my favorite scene is when uh, Travis first talks to the pimp and they're like just kind of getting along, but the pimp calls him cowboy. It's like, oh, you're like a regular cowboy, aren't you? And Travis's reaction is like, I don't know if he's making fun of me. I don't know if he's being a friend. And that pause, I like I like how long that awkward pause lasts. Because the relationship, like, the pimp is being your average friendly neighborhood pimp. He's trying to get along with the guy. And Travis is, like, just not vibing with it. So they have this weird kind of exchange, and Travis ends up walking away and everything's okay until later on. But I really like that scene. I'm surprised Travis didn't go for the $25 for 30 minutes deal because it's obviously a better deal than $15 for 15 minutes, but clearly a better deal. I mean, it's, it's like a Mr. Allen special, you know, you get it 29 is. or two for 50. So 29 or two for 50. <laughs> uh, regional jokes. Love them. Yeah. Mr. Allen. Detroit jokes. <laughs> I, do, I don't know that one. <laughs> oh, Mr. Allen's Emporium. So I, I know I, I did joke about the, you talking to me scene because it's like the, the pop culture reference from the movie. Um, but I think the scene that kind of was my like inter- most interesting scene is the first time that Travis actually meets the senator. Like when he gets in the cab and they're sitting there talking about like basically how they don't want to be in the cab. They think it sucks. They don't want to do it. They'd much rather just wait for the limo. And all of a sudden they strike up the conversation and Travis is just like, oh, yeah. Oh, you're... You're the oh man, I'm your number one supporter and this and that. And all of a sudden the senator just like completely flips into politician mode. Oh. Reads Travis the, pulls some Uber shit on him. It reads the name on the thing. And it's like, oh, Travis, I'm so glad to hear about this. Blah, blah, blah. And in reality, they're just com- completely saying how much they think <laughs> riding in a cab sucks. I think my, my favorite scene was um, after he kind of buys all the weapons and whatever, he attends the rally um, where he's planning on assassinating the presidential candidate and he's having the conversation with the Secret Service agent. And he kind of almost seems like super concentrated on the fact that he's trying to one up this guy. And he's so smug. He, that's what I mean. He's, he like, he's, like, he's kind of like just bo- like kind of boasting and, um, you know, kind of. I don't know what word I'm trying to like, he's trying to like boost himself up or make him seem high and mighty, you know, cause he's asking about, Oh, how does, you know, how do I become part of the secret service? What guns do you carry? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, cause you know, little do you know, I'm packing a 44 Magnum underneath my jacket here, but like. What a hand cannon. Like the holster just looks dumb. When, look, yeah, <laughs> when he's it's gone. insane. That's what they look like. To, <laughs> okay. Yes. But I mean, that's Carlos is, but to Carlos's point, I also like at the end how he thinks he's outsmarting the guy. And the Secret Service agent's just like, oh, yeah, give me your name and your address, and we'll be sure to get in touch with you. Yeah. And that, he's like, oh, shit. They they know exactly what's going on. So Gives he just him the tells fake him address. Some, and the right. address with the zip code with six digits. Right. That's <laughs> uh, Canadian. Sorry. No. <laughs> that would have been a better address. thing than been like, I'm thinking about my phone number. Sorry. Wait, your phone number is exactly like your zip code? Okay. <laughs> you don't know my zip code. She goes to a school in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> um, going off of Carlos, the uh, when he goes back to the rally and he's going to kill the politician at the towards the end, and he's like taking the pill, and he's just looking there, he's like smiling. I I think that's like a, a pretty iconic scene when he's got his head shaved and he's in full edge lord mode. Yeah, Mohawk Travis. Yeah. I wrote as a note that after he got rejected, he went into full incel mode. <laughs> and essentially, oh uh, in rhetoric and in violence, I think. Um, but it wasn't really after he got rejected, because like the first date seemed super incel-y. That's I mean, true, the f- but... The first lines he says is like, thank God it rained, washing away the trash of the city. Yeah, One but day there'll be a, like- a serious rain. Like You kind of know that he is off the rocker no i know but i think it start. just kind of pushes him into it more when he oh yeah fucks the up. rejection the rejection obviously is what sends him deeper into the rabbit hole see this is interesting because i i watched the movie from like this whole thing is from travis's perspective and they they portray him as like 
you should feel sorry for him. He's the good guy. He just doesn't get it. When in reality, he's just kind of a baddie person. Like he's just a nutcase a little bit. Like dangerous. Well, Zach, you make an interesting point. Have you seen American Psycho? Yeah. Okay. How like it's told entirely from yeah. uh, Patrick Bateman's like point of view and then it's all just fake at the end, sort of. Right. Spoilers. Which makes it, I mean, that one yet? which I'd be curious because, like, <laughs> well, then, like from an exterior perspective, <laughs> is it really like a uh, Mark Wahlberg Fatal Attraction kind of uh, persona that maybe uh, Betsy was picking up on? See, and that's to Cameron's point. I don't think like one hundred percent this guy should be in jail. He did a bunch of crimes, and it's just when you have that that third party perspective of the police officer who shows up and just kind of looks at what happened. You can paint the picture that the guy's a hero, and that's that's kind of the way the movie ends. But it's well, that's not how the papers do it. Happen. Yeah, that's what the um, papers do, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah i I did feel like this movie was setting him up to be like the son of Sam, and then you know, obviously, this movie came out. I'm pretty sure before the son of Sam, but uh, I feel like that's where it was going, and then it's just straight up like no. No, he's actually the hero. He doesn't become some serial murderer like you expect. He becomes the good guy. He's all right in my book, that Travis Bickle. <laughs> I think it would have been better had he been killed. Or like or like as he's about to kill this the senator, he like Secret Service gets him and just kills him. Like, but if you're going from like an angle of like a like like vigilante like standpoint, I, I don't know, because I mean, when did uh, I mean this dude ain't Batman? When did uh, when did the movie when did the movie uh, Death Wish come <laughs> He's out? Poor Batman. With, uh, He's poor Batman with Death, a lot more racial. Death slurs. Wish I think came out in the eighties. <laughs> like Robert Downey was Jr. It, it if he never got rich. Oh no, um, oh, no. seventy four actually. <laughs> I also say you look at like De Niro in this, and then like Charles Bronson in, in Death Wish, and it's like you get two very different like views of uh, I guess like anti hero because Charles Bronson goes on like you know a rampage. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. How it works is every month, members get one credit to pick any title, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection. Audible has a free, easy-to-use app that allows you to download titles and listen offline at your convenience. Dylan and Ben, what are your experiences with Audible? So I used the Audible free trial a couple years ago, um, and I've gone back to it since. Uh, I listened to Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. And I really like it when I'm driving on like long road trips. I used it to listen to one of James Elroy's uh, L.A. quartet novels, The Big Nowhere. I would definitely recommend it to anyone on the go, uh, whether it's just driving to work or for long flights. It's great. You can you know listen to something on your phone, connect it to Bluetooth. You get to work, log into your work computer, and listen up. To start your free 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash cocktailsandclassics, all lowercase. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash cocktailsandclassics. After your free trial is up, it'll cost $14.95 per month. However, there are no commitments, and if you can't decide what to listen to at that particular month, that's okay. You can always roll your credits over for up to a year. Tradition around here is Zach takes over and puts us through a quiz. Zach, take it away. All right, everybody, we'll jump right into it. I have a true or false question for you. So in the first date scene between Travis and Betsy, uh, Travis orders an apple pie with melted cheese. Um, So true or false... After John Wayne Gacy was arrested, he also asked the police for a slice of apple pie with melted cheese in exchange for his confession. I'm going to say true. A man who likes to make uh, lampshades out of skin probably (laughs) likes cheese on a pie. (laughs) I like Dylan's logic. I'm going to agree because I like cheese on pies as well. Do you? Oh, <laughs> I've been to your house. No, I didn't I see any skin No, I was implying that I make lampshades out of humans. Oh, okay. I was going to say the, the cheese on the apple pie, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that was the clear sign. If you didn't know it already, Travis is batshit. Yeah, that's a weird... I didn't even pick that up, honestly. I'm going to say false. I feel like that wasn't... I feel like John Wayne Gacy was a good guy. 
<laughs> giving him a bad rap with cheese pie. Free John Wayne Gacy. Free John, John Wayne Gacy. Wayne Gacy. Never <laughs> false. Well, question like free hat. Yeah, I was gonna say question. Yeah, I'm gonna say false because okay, question. Someone correct me. Was John Wayne Gacy on death row? Yeah, he's the clown yes. guy. Killer. Um, okay, I think it's false because I think that was the last meal he ordered before he was executed. Oh wow, this guy goes deep into the John Wayne Gacy lore. Yeah, this is deep lore. <laughs> Deep sea right, lore. Hit us I'm with it, Ben. I'm gonna say true. I feel like I've, I feel like I've heard this before, but I think it is true that he did ask for. Although Carlos might be right, it might have been a last meal type thing. But I, I do remember hearing something about him, and an apple pie with cheese, which is weirdly a thing that I've seen restaurants do before, which creeps me out. I don't like it. Uh, Carlos. You are correct, but your John Wayne Gacy lore is off. Um, there was a serial killer who exchanged a slice of apple pie with melted cheese in exchange for a confession, but it was Ed Gain. Different serial killer, uh, guys. Te- the, he's the Texas also, Chainsaw guy, right? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not big yes. into the He the is lore. the inspiration for Leatherface. That movie terrified me as a child. Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah, I think, scared the I think I actually got them confused. I think Ed Gein was the one with all the lamp shades made out of like boobs. He, he was. Okay. John Wayne Gacy just had all the kids under his. Yeah. John Wayne Gacy was the killer clown. All right. Question number two. Carlos is on the board with one point. Question number two. Robert De Niro has stated that his you talking to me scene was inspired by some onstage banner between the crowd and which rock and roller. Is it a Robert Plant? B Bruce Springsteen or C, Freddie Mercury? I'm going to say Bruce Springsteen. The boss. I'll say Freddie Mercury. All right. I'm going to say Bruce Springsteen as well. I feel like this movie was way too early for Freddie Mercury. Kim is, uh, he's reminding me of that song by Dido, uh, White Flag, because he's going to go down with this ship. I've never won trivia, Cam. Why are you following me? I believe this answer. I mean, it's either between... I I sincerely do not think it's Freddie Mercury. It's funny because if you listen back to the early episodes of the podcast, Cam had this bad habit of copying Dylan's answers, but Cameron has won multiple times and Dylan has never won. <laughs> I'm going to say Robert Plant because uh, your boy's in it to win it. And the correct answer was... The boss, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Hate so that. Bruce I couldn't see Robert Plant really doing that sort of thing either. All right. So Cameron Carlos and Dylan are all tied with one point. Here comes question number three. How many times did director Martin Scorsese appear in the film? Is it A, one, B, two, or C, three? I'm not going to go first because I think I know this one. I'm going to say one final answer. I'll say two. Shit. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go three. The issue is I know of two, but I don't I know if there's I don't know if there's a third. He looks at Betsy when she's walking into the police or the not the, the like polling place for the first time. He's the guy in the back of the taxi who's going to kill his wife. And I don't know if he shows up again. So I guess I'll go downfall with Carlos and say two. Ladies and gents, would it be an episode of Cocktails and Classics if we didn't have a tie during the quiz? Dylan and Carlos tied with two points. He does yeah. appear twice. I was hoping everyone tied with three or with one. I had a uh, I had a feeling would... the first one would come out and, and we'd know about him playing the irate husband, but I didn't think Dylan would nail it with the guy sitting behind Betsy. I know young I know young Scorsese. I knew those two and I thought maybe he was like going to be in the crowd with the at one of the senators rallies so I I thought maybe maybe he might have snuck in there. I thought the same thing. I was like maybe he's just in the background somewhere again and I like a where's Waldo. <laughs> that, that was my thought and also I needed a point so I had to, I had to go different. Alrighty, so our tie-breaking question, introducing a new format. This is going to be closest without going over. In the porno theater, Travis orders two Clark bars, 
two boxes of goobers, one box of chuckles, a royal crown soda, and a box of popcorn. What was his total? <laughs> two. Oh no. Fifty. A <laughs> dollar eighty-five. It was like a buck something. <laughs> it's a lot lower than it that. It was a dollar eighty-five. No fucking <laughs> way. What? It was a dollar eighty-five. Oh Dude, Carlos Lord. always gets Carlos these. Carlos is on like a four-week tear. Man, if it, if it, it was Carlos the answer. Man, if it wasn't that, I was going to think that you were going to ask like, oh, what was the cab number on uh, Travis's So actually, like, what was it? Do you, that, you think he just takes notes the during the movies question, of like number amounts? That is the first question that I had was what is Travis's taxi number? Carlos, it's, do you know it? Three five nine six. It's 3S96. Oh, 3S96. Wow, yep. okay. Close what enough. What the Jesus. fuck? <laughs> wow. Doesn't he tell the cashier to keep the change? He just throws the $2 bills on the thing and he yeah. just goes? Yep. All right, so Carlos, uh, another winner of trivia. This boy's on a tear. You guys got to stop him next week. Thanks for playing, everybody. See you next week. I'm always the bridesmaid, never the bride. I took the liberty of scouring Internet Movie Database for some not-so-kind reviews of Taxi Driver. Um the first one we have here, so one out of ten stars from November 24th, 2005, titled, What Is It With This Movie? I mean, seriously, what is it with this movie? I've seen it twice, read stuff about it, got a lecture on it, and I still don't see how anybody could call this movie a masterpiece. So Scorsese shows us a shot of an empty hall while De Niro is talking on the phone. So what? And is the fact that he constantly makes us aware that we're watching a movie a sign of Scorsese's greatness, even when it doesn't serve any real purpose? I particularly dislike the ending. The lack of comment on the violence and the way Travis turns out to be a hero. Is this a critique of violence or a celebration of it? It is clearly not very hard to imagine someone inspired by Travis's resolution to clean up the streets. Besides, I thought the film was pretty boring especially the second time I watched it. I think Taxi Driver is hugely overrated, but that's just me, of course. Wow. That argument of, oh, this happened, so what? It's like, yeah, uh, Frodo found this ring, and then at the end of the whole thing, threw it in this volcano. Who gives a fuck? Like, fuck you, Tolkien. Like, it's a piece of shit. I don't <laughs> get that argument at all. What is that? Yeah, I mean, I will say he kind of has a point with the inspiring people to you know, commit crimes. Obviously, John Hinckley uh, shot Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same way. I felt like the movie didn't go anywhere. Like, I get that a lot of times it's about the destination, or sorry, it's about the, you know, journey, not the destination, but I do feel like you went along this ride and then at the end he was just like a hero at the end, which I didn't think was a just ending. Cam doesn't like introspective movies. No, that's the thing, is I think this was not introspective at all. I think that he didn't learn anything, and he was not introspective at all. He just did what he wanted to do the whole time, and he en it ended up just working out for him. I, so I would argue, I mean, I don't think this movie in any way necessarily glorifies violence, but I also don't think it's trying to be a critique on it. I think it's just trying to be an entertaining film. I, I think more of the critique is on like the madness of the human mind and what isolation and mental illness can cause for you to be a hero well no yeah. because i don't think it rationalizes <laughs> violence in that sense yeah it does exactly do that but the the thing with like the the story at the end of travis's story that's that's portrayed at the end through newspapers and through the police reports isn't actually travis's story that's the thing is like us as the viewer we have more of an advantage over the person who wrote the article in the in the movie is like we got to see Travis, we got to see everything from his perspective, his weird date, his like, yeah, this is okay. Let me take a woman to a porno theater. That's fine. Um, like we get to see that he's actually loopy, whereas the the newspaper wrote about it like, oh yeah, here's a quick like column in an article. Like this guy was a hero because he decided to charge in and kill a couple pimps and like he did a great job. I think it's just a difference of perspective that we have versus a character in the movie and watching the movie. Yeah. I think that along those same lines, you can look at a lot of movies and say that they glorify violence in different ways. And realistically, I think it's up to the viewer to kind of discern 
that, especially with this movie. I mean, you look at a, a character like the Punisher who basically goes around and kills people he perceives as bad, and he's heralded as this anti-hero, and, you know, you never really see that he's in jail or doing receiving any sort of punishment for his crimes. I mean, I'm a, a huge fan of Batman, but what he does is technically illegal. He's a vigilante, doesn't kill anyone, but... But I mean, take a look same... at a take a look at a real hero like Jigsaw. <laughs> but I, I mean, I was just gonna say I think it's it's a little almost humorous at the end that he survives and becomes this hero when he's attempting to like kill himself at the end, and even like the cops walk in and he like does the gun to his head and like he did all this. He didn't necessarily want to be a hero. He just had this perverse view of the world and then now he's heralded as the the taxi driver hero and all this stuff and it's like i think the other people perversed this his actions into making him a hero not him like he didn't want to be a hero i think this is something that just dawned on me but what if uh in his mind by doing what he did and at the end trying to pull the trigger on himself in his mind, killed that part of him, and that's why he seems so normal post getting out of the the hospital. Maybe in his mind, that act of suicide and trying to pull the trigger, maybe he killed that part of his brain. See, similar, I think that the end scene where he's finally getting along and chit-chatting with the taxi drivers and he has the conversation with Betsy... And you look at her through the rearview mirror and her hair's like blowing in the wind. It's the typical like late Hollywood type of dramatic ending. I think that's all in his head. I think he's just pretending it all. Like it's not actually a real thing because his hair's grown back perfectly. I, I think it's all in his head. So like him envisioning that he still came out on top despite like the messiness of how he Yeah, he gets, he gets the letter from Iris's dad and he reads the newspaper headlines and he's finally a good guy in his head. And that's the ending scene that we see as this super over-dramatized version of his Hollywood ending, something that takes place in his head. So you think that the ending's not, like, real? Yeah, I don't think it's real. I think that the mm. from, from the time... It was all a dream. Yeah, from the, from the point where <laughs> the camera is slowly panning over the letters, I think that's him reading the letters. And then when it cuts that scene to the next, I think that's him just pretending or make-believing. Yeah, I guess I could buy that. I just don't, without being, I mean, I don't know. I don't need to be force-fed everything, but without, like, some notion of, like, this is definitely a dream, or, like, even this could potentially be a dream, I feel like, I don't know, that doesn't quite do it for me. I mean, again, like, and maybe it's just supposed to be super subtle. Like, what are the odds that he picks up, you know, that lady on a fair and she gets into his cab and after this stuff? Like, I don't know. You could You could read into that. Well, our next review rated it a little bit higher. Doesn't necessarily mean he likes the film more than the one out of ten. But <laughs> <laughs> our second review is from D.L. Burke 3. Oh, sorry. The three is the date. Uh, it's D.L. Burke uh, from October 3rd, 2015. He gave it a three out of ten. He says... The title is Another Pseudo-Intellectual Movie. This movie joins the likes of Dr. Strangelove, Citizen Kane, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's not clever at all, and it's about nothing. Some mentally ill taxi driver boogies around at night, that's all. Most of the film is taken up by slow scenes, totally unrealistic dialogue and situations, and a totally unrealistic portrayal of New York. Yet Taxi Driver is currently rated as 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb. There are two reasons for this. One is that wannabe gangsters will vote any film like this high. And the other is that people like Roger Ebert are the perfect example of a modern-day emperor's new clothes. If the plot and script are nonsensical, they'll hail it a masterpiece and tell you that you are just too stupid to see the genius involved. For the record, 2001 A Space Odyssey does not have any story at all, but is still called Deep. Those of us with an ounce of sanity are not happy sitting through a film that's about nothing with the exception of a few scenes with Jodie Foster, who plays an underage prostitute, and has a pace slower than a tortoise on whiskey. The acting isn't bad, but the talent is wasted on a script as crap as this. 
I'd only recommend watching this to tick the seen it box. Wow, he threw it in he threw it in the same the same light as like three of the greatest movies ever and then proceeded to shit on all four of them at once. What a bold fuck. What a bold what a bold little man. I was going to say yeah. What did he it's give like, it? What did he give it out of 2001 a three Space out of Odyssey Oof. has no plot. Whoa. Like we haven't seen we haven't reviewed 2001 a Space Odyssey yet, but I'm heavily looking forward uh, yeah, to it. I was going to say it's on there. This guy's up there with like our he, underworld guy. I don't know what is. Does this he have problem. a review of 2001 Space Odyssey? That is actually what I'm currently looking for. <laughs> there's just a stone somewhere, and there's a bunch of monkeys looking at it, and I don't get it. It's there's <laughs> no point to it. <laughs> oh lord. I I feel like the the point of this movie not being super story driven is the entire purpose. Yeah. Like. Right. Uh, it drives me nuts. People are like, oh, it has no story. I mean, it. no, it has a story, but it's also supposed to be an introspective of watching this guy kind of slowly and slowly drift away from reality, not to hit plot point A, then plot point B, then plot point C, um, which, it you know, it is a different thing to, to grasp, but Oh no, Dylan's face looks oh. bad. Oh, Dylan's, yep. <laughs> did he, he review 2001 like... A Space oh, he, Odyssey? He, he did review 2001 I don't want to hear it. I'll be too upset. Um, uh, he did give Vertigo a 1 out of 10. Yeah, but what did he give the Underworld series? That's all, That's my bar. <laughs> 12 Angry Men, 1 out of 10. What? Oh no. Dark Knight, 1 out of 10. <laughs> that, just, that just tells you <laughs> that we're like... on the right track. We're Doctor Strange Love, one out of ten. No. What, are, what does he give a ten out of ten? Uh, the Truman Show. <laughs> oh, the Truman <laughs> Show. Big Jim Carrey fan. Come on. Star Wars Episode Five, ten out of ten. Okay. Oh my god. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't give it a ten, but I'd at least give it a nine. The Terminator, ten out of ten. Oh, wait, one or two? Uh, yeah, matters. One. <laughs> okay. The Thing, ten out of ten. I, I, I mean, respect that rating. <laughs> I respect that one. Oh, this guy's uh, not so bad. Yeah, no, he's, he's all right. Uh, the Matrix, 10 out of 10. Jaws, 9 out of 10. What did he rate Toy Story? <laughs> what, did, what did he rate Toy Story 3? Specifically, does he think that you should end the movie Ten. right as the toys are about to go into the incinerator and stop <laughs> it right there and call that the end of the movie so you never have to make another Toy Story again? Fucking Is that this guy? He gave it a 10 out of 10. I don't, yeah, I agree with Zach how you're, you can't just take three of the greatest movies ever made and then just kind of just be like, yeah, this is one of them. That's also a shithole. Whoa. Uh, what? <laughs> what a, a lot plot to twist. Here. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, 8.4 8. out of 10 on IMDb. It's like an aggregated score. So obviously like it could be higher or lower than what you think it is. I'm not going to like shit on it and be like, oh, I don't think it's an 8.4 out of 10, but you can't just take that score and be like, I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with his points of why he doesn't like the movie. I feel like... Because like of Roger acting, Ebert or... <laughs> n- no. <laughs> I feel like the acting was good. And like, it's not like... Like Ben was saying, like, it's not like you watch it for the plot per se. You know? Um, like the individual events that happen. It's not like a, a fucking Avengers movie or whatever. Right. Um, like, it has meaning. It's just, I don't agree with where the I don't agree with where it goes so like I just I don't know I don't see how you can see it through that lens like like I don't think they told this yeah I don't think like the writing was bad or that they necessarily like or that the acting was bad and I don't see how one could think that by watching it but yeah there's no driving plot like it's not it's not die hard where Bruce Willis is like I have 30 minutes to take this bomb out and then he shoots that guy, and then he's got to he's got to get to Snape because Snape's the bad guy. Snape, <laughs> <laughs> um, don't disrespect my man's Hans Gruber the, like that. <laughs> <laughs> Before the movie, those of us who had seen it wrote down our ratings based off nostalgia and memory. And now I want to know if your rating has changed or not. Uh, before watching the movie, uh, I remember it pretty fondly. I, I gave it a seven out of ten going in. Sat down, watched it. I had a few Robert De Niro's, and I think I think a seven out of ten is fair. 
there are definitely better movies, but this is in in no way a bad movie. I think everybody should see it. It's definitely a classic. Um, hits on a lot of cool stuff, and it's just a it's just a fun movie if you sit down and pay attention. Um, that's pretty good. I'll I'll leave it a seven out of ten. It's a very fun movie. <laughs> Taxi very driver, lighthearted if comedy. You, if you had a yeah, if you have a tagline for Taxi Driver, it would be fun movie. <laughs> Almost assassinates politician. So underage prostitute. <laughs> fun movie. So here's the deal. <laughs> I was a huge fan of uh, the Catcher in the Rye. Uh, oh, and okay. I, I honestly think that your boy Travis Bickle could just be a grown-up Holden Caulfield. Think of like if if Holden Caulfield got sent to Vietnam, he could be Travis Bickle on the way out. I like that Zach's favorite things are books and movies that influence people to try to assassinate other people, <laughs> like John Lennon, <laughs> like John Lennon and Ronald Reagan. Oh my lord. I just got um, you guys just got me added to every single list of the Alphabet Company. Every single one of them, the CIA, the FBI. I'm on every single one of their lists now because um, of you, not because of I my mean, video and movie taste. Uh, <laughs> in books, going into our rewatch, I had given this movie a six out of ten. I remembered it being entertaining but slow. Um, the pacing was kind of. Eh, for me. And after rewatching it, I bumped it up to a 7 out of 10. Um, I don't think that it's the perfect movie by any means. Uh, I think Robert De Niro does a, an amazing job portraying someone who kind of slowly disconnects from reality. Um, I think the writing in the movie is is really good. I do think it's a well-written movie. Um, the ending kind of is a disappointment. Uh, the score to the movie is phenomenal. Um, it really kind of keeps you in like this weird noir feeling, but it also gives you the sense that there's something about to happen. Even if nothing's going to happen, it kind of keeps you on edge. Um, overall, I think I just appreciated the, the character introspection more this time around. So I bumped it up from a six to a seven uh, and I do recommend it. I do love that they continuously reuse that same saxophone song over and over again in different settings and different situations. I think it's great. Are you talking about careless whisper? (laughs) (laughs) Going in, I agree with Ben. I I gave this like a six and a half out of 10 upon rewatching it. I think this is my second or third time. Um, I would definitely bump it up. Uh, I love a lot of, a lot of the parts of it, the nighttime shots of New York of like driving in the taxi cab are beautiful. I love the, like the rainy cab going through this neon and, and sodium vapor lighting. I think those shots are beautiful. Very interesting, like shot choices for some of the stuff like the dolly off of the phone conversation into the empty hallway when he's about to pop the pill, when he's looking at the senator at the end, and it dollies or it booms up to uh, to his face, uh, the over the head shot. I think those all culminate along with Robert De Niro, his amazing performance, Jodie Foster's amazing performance. Uh, Harvey Keitel does a great job with his character. He's like such a skis bag. I I bumped this he's up to a, a nine pimp. out of ten. <laughs> he is a great pimp. Um, I bumped this up to a 9 out of 10. I think this is a movie that everyone should watch. With the the thought in mind that what has come since this movie from it and kind of like look introspectively if you don't agree with the violence or how it comes out that, you know, I think the movie can still speak if it's a little too violent or glorifies this violence a little bit or talks about some of these themes that are a little taboo now in talking about the cast real quick i just wanted to jump in um peter boyle who plays the other like the cabbie that gives robert de niro all the advice would probably be the unsung i think hero of this cast great job the guy who plays wizard yes uh the late peter boyle famous for playing ray romano's dad on everyone loves raymond everybody loves raymond that's where I know and, him from. I was like, he looks familiar. And the, 
and the monster in uh, is it Young Frankenstein, the I think the so, Mel Brooks yeah. movie. Carlos, hit us with it. For for my rating, um, what what was big about like my first my first rating was the fact that I had not seen actually uh, the last uh, probably five to ten minutes of the movie. Um, when I had seen it on TV, I had probably turned it off or stopped watching at the point where um, where it could be inferred that Robert De Niro's character dies. Um, and I thought that was just the end of the movie. So, you know, I was kind of like, okay, this, this movie kind of went slow and then it kind of just ends and, you know, kind of like this, this big shootout, but it was only a fraction of the time of the movie. And I, I gave it a five to start, but then after obviously seeing it all the way through, considering all of the theories behind perspectives, looking at it from Robert De Niro's perspective multiple times throughout the movie. And then obviously the theories that go along with um, what we as the audience are perceiving um, definitely gave me a lot more to think about, you know, and obviously there's multiple theories of how you want to interpret it. Um, if you, you know, take the time to watch this movie. So I bump it up to a seven. Uh, I, you know, I appreciate it. it's thought provoking at the end. And really it's up to the audience's judgment of, you know, are we seeing the truth or are we really seeing the, uh, you know, perverse reality still through Travis's mind all the way through the end of the movie? The moment we've all been waiting for. I've been wanting this number since I heard Cameron's first comment about this movie. Cameron, you have to give it to us. The crowd's been waiting. We're chanting for an encore. We need it. All right, Cam, give us that one out of 10. I'm going to start by saying it's not a one out of 10. It's, it's really not. There is a lot. I think there's a lot to appreciate about the movie. I think, as many of you guys have said already, I think the movie was written very well. I think the acting was good. The music was great, as you said. I didn't mention that before, but, yeah, the music was great, like the, the score of the movie. It kind of gave you that feeling of being on edge the whole time. It was actually kind of reminded me of uh, Dunkirk, how they had the clock ticking in the background for a lot of the movie. Um, similarly in this one, they had the snare drum kind of pacing and in some parts you could feel it getting a little bit faster. That said, I didn't like the movie that much. I thought that it kind of, I was really disappointed where it went. I thought it was going to start or it started really good. I thought it was going to go somewhere interesting and I just wasn't very interested in where it went. I get that it could still have meaning while glorifying what he did, but at the same time, I felt like that was not the ending that should have happened. And maybe that's not fair, right? Like, I didn't write the story, but I just don't think that that ending was just for him, uh, and I don't think... I think it made the story lesser for him being all cool at the end of the movie and being thanked and hailed as a hero. So I can totally understand, like, how someone would say it glorifies being detached from reality and makes it seem cool, because the movie does make it seem cool, because... This guy like, is going to kill a politician and then gets chased off and then decides instead to kill you know, a pimp and some bodyguards and then he's hailed as a hero. So the rating I'm going to give this movie is a 4 out of 10. I think there's some things to be had. I do still think it is a classic movie. Like I, don't, I think people should view it and get their own opinion on it, but I don't think this particular one was for me. I, think, I just think there are some other movies that have done it and I'm more satisfied of where they actually took the story. You're talking about Joker. <laughs> okay, like, yes, Joker, maybe Joker, but, like, you know, it doesn't have to be that. Like, there's other stories that have what you call, like, what you would call an anti-hero or somebody, a bad character who's still the main character, but they still end up, like, and you, and you don't want to root for them, but you do because they're the main character. But there talking are other, about Deadpool. No, I'm, <laughs> no, like... A good example in my book is like um, Walter White in Breaking Bad. Like, he is a character who is complex, does a lot of bad shit. You still kind of root for him because he's the main character, but in the end, he dies. And that's what should have happened. Cam wants the bad man to die. No, it's not that. It's just I want the characters in the story to have a fitting end. He does. He's he's a Gabby again. No, it's not a fitting end. It just, it, he learns nothing from the story. He learns nothing from what happened. There's no character development. Like, he didn't get help. He didn't, 
think about what his actions were wrong. He didn't do any of the options that are good, you know, that would be considered good outcomes. But he still got a good outcome. He still got that happy ending that I don't think he deserved. So for that, for a lot of that reason, I gave it a four out of ten. Also, I didn't think some of the parts were believable a little bit. Like, that lady would not have been into him being a fucking creepo, honestly. You don't know that. It was True. the 70s. That's how men are. I don't. Was, but, but if it was his perspective, he could believe that she was in I it. get that. Okay, so yeah, I understand if you're viewing it from that angle. I kind of understand that. Yeah. I just don't know if I buy that angle. What if that's her kink? What if that's her kink? She likes crazy dudes. It might be, and that's fine. I'm not going to kink shame on this podcast. <laughs> kink shaming <laughs> is my kink. Unless you're a furry. If you're a furry, <laughs> fuck yourself. But other than that... <laughs> If you enjoyed this and you enjoyed the Robert De Niro, leave a movie recommendation or send us a picture of your drink at Cocktails Classics Pod on Instagram or at Cocktails Class on Twitter. And uh, until next time, watch responsibly. 